I have so many thoughts, but one of them is I just appreciate, uh, you know, the time that I have. It's, there's not much, you don't, you don't have a lot of time. Um, so just, you know, cherish it. Not, I try not to waste any time um, that I have now at all. You know, if there's something that is meaningful to me, I stick to it. If, if it's not, I let, I let things go. Welcome to the Feel Good Running Podcast, where our goal is to keep you motivated, inspired, and energized. As a runner, or perhaps you are looking for the right motivation to become one, you've definitely found the right place. We share inspirational stories from real runners, motivating running-related information, and much more to help you feel good about your running. And now your host and a longtime Feel Good Runner himself, Jim Lynch. Hello, runners, and welcome to episode number eight, number eight already. Man, I can't believe it. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Jim Lynch, and this is my podcast, Feel Good Running. If you are a new listener, thanks for checking us out. And if you've been listening to our previous episodes, thank you for continuing to listen and give me an opportunity to bring you a good running podcast. Runners, this episode is really special. I recently found an article in Men's Health magazine about this gentleman and what he is doing, and I knew that I had to have him as a guest on the podcast. He is an incredible man who is currently running 50 marathons in 50 states that he plans to finish this fall in New York City. Now, I know some of you runners out there that have been running for quite a long time and read running related articles and follow runners on Instagram and Facebook have come across somebody who is doing something very special in running that is very challenging for whatever reason, whether it's personal or whether it's for a cause. But I want to tell you that this this story here um, is both heartbreaking and heartwarming. Yasser Salem He's on this incredible, challenging journey for a very special reason. His wife, Guinevere Mann, lost her battle last summer to lung cancer after actually winning the battle years ago from a tumor in her brain. Now, there were some complications from the surgery when she had the tumor removed from her brain. And it was a long recovery period that has a whole story behind that. And in the eight years or so before she passed away, Both Yasser and Guinevere ran eight marathons together. Now, to honor Guinevere, Yasser is running the 50 marathons in 50 states. And our conversation takes you through his journey. And you definitely get to know Guinevere and and how wonderful she was. And of course, you're going to find out how amazing Yasser is for honoring her memory. I don't want you to miss this conversation. It is very touching and it really means a lot to me to bring this to you. So that's coming up a little bit later on in the show. And now uh, talk about a little bit of business. If this is your first time ever listening to Feel Good Running Podcast, I'd like to make a suggestion to you. Listen to the first episode. You'll find out a little bit about me. I was interviewed for my first episode by Lindsay Hine. And Lindsay Hine has a podcast, a running podcast called I'll Have Another with Lindsay Hine. So you want to definitely check that out. And as I said, she interviewed me. So you can find out all about me and that I have a little bit of background in running. So you know that I just didn't put on a pair of running shoes and say, you know what? I don't know if I want to run, but I'm going to put together this podcast on running because everybody needs to hear a podcast on running. 
I actually have a little bit more background in that. So check that out. Um, another thing is please share the show on social media, your social media. It's so important. The show is really growing and I can't thank you enough. It really is. I'm amazed to see after each episode, how many downloads are happening. So somebody's listening out there. So thank you very much on that. And by sharing the show on your social media or giving us a review and rating on Apple podcast, it's helping attract new listeners. So Uh, Again, thank you for that. Now, if you've listened to my last two episodes, I've talked about female running safety. It has created quite a stir here on the island of Maui. And on March 30th at Powerhouse Gym here on Maui, there's going to be a female running safety and self-defense class. This class here is going to be free and it's sponsored by Valley Isle Roadrunners, the local running club here on Maui. And uh, Powerhouse Gym is donating the space. So if you live here on Maui and you want to come to that, we'll have more details coming up on how to sign up for that. Now, the instructor for this class is Tasha Church, and she is going to be my guest on the next episode, episode number nine. It's going to focus on female running safety and self-defense techniques. So all you females that are listening to Feel Good Running, please check this out. Tasha is a very skilled self-defense instructor, and you're going to get a lot out of this. Summer months are coming up, and you're going to be out there running more and more solo when the nice weather arrives. And guys, make sure your significant other or female running friends listens to the next episode, and along with yourself, because we really want our female runners safe out there. So mark your calendars. March 15th is when that episode will be released with Tasha. You got that? Okay. Now, for all you that are not on Maui and you're somewhere in the world, thanks again for listening. Uh, But on March 22nd and 23rd, if you happen to be running the LA Marathon, well, we are coming out there to promote the Maui Marathon and we'll have a booth at the LA Marathon Expo on those dates. And if you have a race number, you can spin our wheel and maybe win some Maui Marathon swag. And if you or somebody that you know that's going to be at the marathon has an inspirational running story that you'd like to share with our listeners, drop me a line. I'm going to bring out my equipment and there's a possibility that we can do an interview. This show is about you, the everyday runner. And more inspirational stories that we can bring to our listeners to motivate them and get them excited about running is exactly what we want to do with the show. So hopefully we'll see you out there at the LA Marathon this year. It'll be a lot of fun at the Expo. I'm not running it, but I'll be at the Expo. All right. What do I want to talk about this episode? I did a fantastic run last Monday. That was February 18th, President's Day in Honolulu. It was called the Great Aloha Run. Now, this is a very popular run in Honolulu. It's been, uh, I think it's 35 years that this run has been in existence and it attracts uh, over 16,000 people. But what's really amazing about this run is the fact that they include a lot of military. It runs right by Pearl Harbor underneath the Nimitz Highway and you have the Marines, Army, all of these fine servicemen and service women running with all of us civilians. And it's just an amazing experience. And the real cool part of the race is you finish running into Aloha Stadium. The finish line is right in there. And if you're an NFL fan, that is where they used to do the Pro Bowl, but they don't do it there anymore. But there is a rumor that they may be 
be bringing it back. It's a big stadium and they have the big screen up. And though you can't see yourself as you're running across the finish line, everybody else can, though they have no idea who you are because you're with 16,000 people. I just wanted to share that with you. I thought that was a really nice run. Every once in a while, you have a memorable run, and that was one for me that I really enjoyed. Kind of reminded me just a little bit of the Boulder Boulder in Colorado. Boulder Boulder has about 50,000 people, which is much larger than this one. But same principle, you end up in CU Stadium at the finish line. And um, just a fun day. And I wanted to share that story with you. All right, let's move on here and uh, talk about running shoes. Yes, running shoes. I know it is the most important piece of equipment that you will buy as long as you are a runner. We don't have to invest a lot in running, but running shoes are extremely important and there's a gazillion of them out there. If you're a new runner and you're wearing some old sneakers, Please go somewhere. If you have a local running store, please go there and get some good running shoes or order them online. Whatever you have to do, get some good running shoes. It will really enhance your running and uh, save you from potential frustration down the road with aches and pains and possible injuries. So if you've been a runner for a while, you know the drill. You went to your local running store and you tried on some shoes and you finally found that one pair of shoes that you really like, whether it was Asics, Saucony, Brooks, New Balance, whatever. And that one model of that uh, brand of shoe. And it was a match made in heaven. It fits your feet perfect. You felt so comfortable in those shoes and you start running in them and things are really going well. And then they bring out the next version and that messes everything up. They change it. And it doesn't feel right. And so you are on the internet absolutely desperate to find as many pairs of your shoes that you fell in love with that you can get your hands on because you know it's very limited before they will all be gone and you just have to go through that drill again. And it drives me nuts. I've gone through so many different brands and so many different models of shoes and all my years and every single time they come out with the new version and it's always different. Now, right now, my chew, chew, my chew, (laughs) my shoe of choice is the New Balance Fresh Foam 1080s. I absolutely love these shoes. However, the two pairs that I have are wearing out. I believe they're version sevens or eights and version nine is out. And of course it has changed. Of course it has. So I went on a mission on the internet to try to find some version seven or eights, whatever, whatever one I'm looking for. And, uh, you know, I got very excited. I found, I found a pair 50% off. That is a gift for any runner. And so I started the ordering process and going through the, the different portions of it, clicking and it got to the shoe size. And of course they had just about every size except for mine. Always happens every single time. So I've been testing the waters for a new pair of running shoes, but haven't found anything yet. Now, can you imagine living someplace that doesn't have a running store or a sports store? So you have no opportunity to go try on shoes, test them out and purchase them. Well, on Maui, we have no store. 
no running store, no sports store. Now we do have one store that sells Hoka One Ones and they it, actually, is it Hoka One One or is it Hoka One One? I don't know what they're calling them now. Anyways, you know what they are. If you've been around running for a while, you've heard of the Hokas. I've never tried them, but people seem to like them. And then there's a gentleman that is selling ultras here on the island. Um, those are the zero drop shoes. And I have been thinking about trying them. Well, he comes to some of the runs and he'll let people try them on and see how they feel. And I and he sells them out of his uh, CrossFit studio. He has a CrossFit studio here in Kihei. So at some point, I'm going to give it a shot and try them out, at least take them for a test run and if I like them. But where I buy my shoes is Roadrunner Sports. Um, I love buying shoes from this company. And the reason is, is that they have a phenomenal return policy. So there's a thing that they have online. It's called Shoe Dog. And it's basically, they step you through a couple things. You answer a few questions. You get a grocery bag from the grocery store, brown paper grocery bag, and you wet the bottom of your feet and step on them. And then you can identify your arch. And then it, when you plug in all this information, it'll spit out a couple brands of shoes that you can try. And I've ordered them from Roadrunner Sports in, in this fashion through Shoe Dog. And it's a 50-50. You know, I've hit good 50% of the time. Uh, but the good thing is, is if, you know, you're wearing them and they're just not working for you, you can return them for full credit. Uh, I usually don't get the credit. I just try another pair of shoes. So that is, that's one of our opportunities here and it's free shipping. And I usually get them to you in about three days. Well, they have something new coming out. Um, actually, I think it's already been implemented in some of their stores on the mainland. It's called the 3D Fit Drone, which is supposedly will scan and measure your feet to find out the best possible shoe for you. It takes about six measurements, like your heel width, foot size, length, width, arch height, instep. And I think this process takes about 10 minutes and then it comes up very accurately from what I read um, on some choices of shoes for you. So you can go then and shop till you drop. So if you have a Roadrunner uh, store in your area, I know San Diego, that's one of their major flagship stores and, and it's huge. They probably have implemented the 3D Fit Drone feature at that store. So give it a shot. But like I mentioned already, um, shoes are really important. So find your right shoe and don't get discouraged. You know, just be prepared that when you find a shoe that you love, when the next model comes out, it's going to be different has been like that all the time. I don't see it changing. But the good thing is you have several brands and several different models within those brands that you can try and you will eventually find something that you do like. And if you don't, go barefoot. There are barefoot runners out there and they swear by it, but not going to be me anytime soon. Anyway, if you happen to check out this 3D Fit Drone technology, let me know how it goes. I'd like to know. And in the meantime, I will be using Shoe Dog from Roadrunner Sports. Now, they are not a sponsor of the show. I have no sponsors. I just happen to use Roadrunner Sports and I do like them. So um, I'm happy to share that with you, my running audience. Okay, let's move on with this episode's inspirational and motivational news. Searching anywhere and everywhere. Here is this episode's Feel Good Running News. 
Well, I had this story sitting on my desk for a few months, buried in a pile of papers, and I just found it and remembered it. 19-year-old Ida Ria of Japan, she's won my utmost respect. Last October, she was competing in a marathon relay and was roughly in about six miles. And she was heading towards the checkpoint to hand off the baton to her teammate. She collided with someone, fell, and broke her leg. She refused to give up and did not want to let her teammate down, so she proceeded to crawl on her hands and knees 250 meters, that's a little under two-tenths of a mile, on the hot and burning asphalt. Of course, she did more damage crawling since her hands and knees were scraped up and bleeding. Well, as she was crawling, spectators cheered her on and a news crew filmed her every move. And as she crossed the finish line on her hands and knees, bleeding and in pain, she handed a baton to her teammate. She was later checked out by doctors and come to find out she was crawling on a fractured right tibia. Now, Ida's team did not win the marathon relay and her teammates were very supportive and amazed at her persistence. That day, she won the respect of everyone. You know, the mind is amazing. And that's what kept Ida going. She had that never give up attitude. I've seen that in many runners, including myself. You know, if you have an attitude like that, It's really going to take you far in running and in other aspects of your life. Now, at my website, feelgoodrunning.com, in the show notes, I have a link to this incredible video of Ida crawling to the finish line. It's really amazing, and you're going to love it. I've watched it about five times, and it blows me away each time. So take a few minutes. Go take a look at it. It will definitely give you motivation when you feel like you're getting a little bit lazy. Thank you, Ida, for being such an inspiration. And finally, this next story is really bad. I know, I'm sorry. There's actually a point to this. Sarah Heights runs around her town of Tuttle, Oklahoma. Now, there's nothing unusual about running around in your town. We all see runners running all the time in our own towns. So much so that runners are kind of like window dressing. Mostly unnoticeable, but not Sarah. Not a chance. She turns heads. Why, you say? Well... Guess what? Her running buddy happens to be a goat. Yes, a goat. And not a Tom Brady-like goat. This is a goat goat. G-O-A-T. A four-legged animal. Penny is a a one-and-a-half-year-old Nigerian dwarf goat and is the family pet and is apparently very attached to the Heights family. One day, as Sarah started her run, she noticed Penny chasing after her. Well, she sent her home, but it happened a few more times, and Sarah finally said, what the heck, and let her run with her and her dog, Daisy. Well, Penny must have caught the running bug because she just kept running, and now she runs three or four days a week. She can run a solid four miles before getting tuckered out. Sarah said she gets quite a bit of attention when running with Penny. People slow down, wave, and give the thumbs 
thumbs up. Oh yeah, when Sarah wants to keep going, Penny will turn around and run home. She actually knows her way back home. Now, Sarah's been running for about six years and has run the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon back in 2013, crossing the finish line at four hours and 57 minutes. She's actually training now to run it again later on next month and hopes to do it in a better time. She said up until race day, she'll have her furry crew running alongside her as she trains at least for part of her long runs. Because what better motivation is there to smash a workout than have a goat and a dog running with you? Well, normally to get your goat is to annoy someone. In Sarah's case, by getting her goat, that certainly makes her happy. Now, that wasn't too bad, was it? And now it's time to welcome this episode's very special running guest. All right, it is time for this episode's special guest. And indeed, it is very special. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I saw an article in Men's Health Magazine on Yasser Salem, and he is doing 50 marathons in 50 weeks and in all 50 states. Yasser is doing this for three reasons. First and most important, in honor and memory of his wife, Guinevere Mann, who he lost last summer to lung cancer. He is also on this journey to bring awareness to cancer and in support of the Guinevere Mann Foundation. This is a longer conversation than most of the ones that I've done so far, but all of it is important to this very heartbreaking but heartwarming and wonderful story. You will learn what a wonderful and talented person Guinevere is and the incredible love Yasser has for her and all that he is doing in honor of her memory and to help others. We recorded this conversation over two days, and about 45 minutes into it, there's a slight audio change. Nothing major, but just wanted you to be aware as you were listening. So here is my conversation with a very amazing man, Yasser Salem. Hi, Yasser. How are you doing today? Hi, Jim. Thank you for having me on here. Absolutely. I got my latest edition of Men's Health Magazine, which is the January-February edition. And towards the front, there was a small article um, about you and what you are doing. And you're about, I would say, 10 marathons into it. But before we get into any of that, it was a story behind why you're doing this that really touched me. And so I reached out to you and wanted to know if you'd come on to my podcast and you did. And so I I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jim. So let's go back because um, this is a really, really good story and our listeners really need to hear it from the beginning. You were single guy back around nine, or 2006. It was in the days of MySpace and a woman by the name of Guinevere, a man, uh, was doing some profile searching because she was bored and she came across your profile on MySpace. And for our listeners, what MySpace is, it's what the Facebook was then. Can you tell me a little bit about that and when you received that ping from her on MySpace and, and what happened? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I got this. I was traveling at the time in the in the Caribbean and I got this random message from another user on MySpace, a really beautiful woman. And, uh, I immediately thought, uh, well, this, uh, this can't, this is, must be one of those spam type of, uh, emails that I get every once in a while. 
But then I, I looked at her email. She said, "Hey, you uh, you look um, you look really interesting, and I I would love to be your friend. I'd love to meet up with you." Um, and I was I thought that was you know really uh, courageous and ambitious uh, and and forward. And you know, um, and then I, I I dug into her profile. I realized she was a real person. And um, and uh, not only was she a real person, she's the kind of person that I would want to meet. And uh, we had exchanged a few messages back and forth, and uh, started to get to know her a little bit better. And I realized she wasn't too far away from where I lived. And then once I got back to New York City from from the Caribbean, I. Uh, you know, we, we, we met up and, uh, you know, we hung out for, for a little bit and then, uh, we, we set up a date. Um, and you know, we had a, a six hour date that first date. And the first place I took her was, uh, the professional bull riding championship, um, in Madison square garden. And, uh, then we went to a few other places and it just went on and on and we couldn't, we were inseparable from that moment on. I was going to say, um, bull riding, that's an interesting first date, but it <laughs> yeah. sounds like you completely hit it off from the first minute you met. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was just, she was literally like the female version of me, if that was possible, but uh, one that could sing one that was a little bit more artistic and definitely better looking. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so. I, I can understand. I know where you're coming from on that. Um, yeah. So what were some of the qualities of Gwen that uh, you found really striking and amazing that you just were blown away by? Yeah. I mean, other than her, her beauty, um, the, the, she had a, a level of, she had this really great knack at capturing a room with her storytelling. Um, and that started, that starts kind of with her observation of her surroundings. She would, walk down the street and find, you know, within five minutes, find something really interesting and, and funny, uh, on that street and, and then proceed to tell you the story, uh, in great detail or find something really amusing and tell you why she thought it was amusing. So she would always find, she would always find uh, a deep story and def- and generally a pretty funny one, um, in, in your everyday life. Um, and she'd capture them on, on pictures. And she was just, uh, 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 an excellent storyteller. And then, um, she had this laugh about her that was captured in a lot of our interviews in, in story corps, um, and, and the committed podcast, um, which, you know, we recorded right before, uh, she was diagnosed with cancer coincidentally. Um, but, um, yeah, the listeners can, can take a look at, and, and listen uh, to her laugh. It's just infectious. It is infectious. Um, I, I can't it, uh, tell you how many times I listen to the committed podcast. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's just, it just comes out. Yeah. And then, uh, and obviously she was an incredible, incredibly um, talented singer. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, having, being a great singer and a great storyteller uh, you put those two together and she, you know, she came out with some pretty incredible pieces of work. Um, and, you know, and I'm, and I'm, uh, you know, she has some of her songs already released and out there, but she was working on this album. I don't want to get too far ahead, uh, but she was working on this album 
and I released the first sing, uh, the first uh, single um, just right before we ran. I ran the New York City Marathon last year, which was the kickoff of the 50 and 50 marathons thing that I'm sure you're going to get into in just a second. Um, but um, so there's a there's a, a the rest of the album that I will be releasing for her uh, this year. Uh, I think it's her greatest work. And, um, um, I'm, I, I'm happy to fulfill that dream for her. I know she's, she's, uh, she's paying attention somewhere and, uh, she's listening. And so I, you know, I want to do that for her. I, I absolutely believe that when I dug deeper in looking at your story and, and all the stuff that you originally sent me, all I could think of, I came up with the conclusion is, is that you both met for a reason. And yep. that reason is apparent. And as we go through the conversation here, you know, it'll become more apparent that you two were absolutely meant for each other because she needed you and, and you needed her. And, and I truly believe that she felt that you were a strong person to go through that. And then after that, too. Yeah. So you were together for two years, uh, had had a wonderful relationship. And uh, 2008, things changed a little bit. She started having some dizzy spells and progressively got worse. What, what was going on there? Yeah. So we, uh, you know, she, she would stand up and she, she would get dizzy. Um, that's easily, uh, an easy thing to kind of write off, but there were multiple symptoms that she had that kind of worried me. And then, um, you know, eventually she started like, uh, having trouble seeing out of her left eye. And, you know, so we went to her optometrist, uh, sorry, ophthalmologist, I should say. And she, um, you know, they, they, the ophthalmologist basically has a window into your brain and at least, uh, at least part of it, um, and kind of can give you a sense of what's going on back there. And, and, uh, we didn't, we couldn't, um, imagine what, what, uh, what came next, which, was she saw some uh, inflammation on her optic nerve on both sides. And um, to to her, that meant there was something a little bit more serious uh, going on. So she sent Gwen in for an MRI. And, uh, you know, some of the initial thoughts before the MRI were she could have had multiple sclerosis or worse, um, a brain tumor. And... Um, it ended up being a brain tumor, a pretty big one, about the size of a tangerine. Uh, it's called a meningioma. Um, if you had to pick a, a brain tumor to have, that would be the one. Um, and that that's basically a tumor that grows on the meninges, uh, so on the outside of the of uh, you know the lining of the brain there. And it was on the base of the skull, so it was sitting on her optic nerve. That's what was causing her the the uh, the kind of like uh, the things that she was seeing and the when she would stand up, she would lose her, her, uh, bounce a little bit and, and she was a little fuzzy. And so at least we knew what was up at that point. We figured out, you know, she, she had to get this taken care of. It had to be removed. There was no way around it. And, um, you know, within, uh, less than a month of her diagnosis, she was scheduled for brain surgery and, um, and, uh, she had her brain tumor removed. Um, how long of a process was that? The actual operation. The operation took a good chunk of a, a day. You know, she was in in the morning, and we didn't see her till uh, later, in, much later in the afternoon. She came out of it uh, uh, 
not completely, um, you know, she, she was clearly suffering some kind of, um, memory loss and several symptoms that that were really concerning to us. But, you know, when you open up the skull, things do tend to happen and it's not a perfect science. There's always a risk. Right. And, um, well, she, she, she started, she got better, but when she first got out, she couldn't remember anything past, I would say 30 seconds to a minute. Um, you know, she, we had these signs all over her bed and, uh, we, 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 she would look at one sign to her left and then turn to her right and read another sign and then turn back to her left. And she would not remember what that first sign was by that point. Um, but, uh, you know, we went through a battery of tests and, and, uh, analysis and, you know, and trying to figure out what was going on. And, um, and, 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 you know, she, she basically, you know, had a mini stroke when she was on the operating table. The, the, the tumor was entangled with several blood vessels and there was, um, no way around it. And it's a miracle that she didn't have uh, a worse um, situation than what she did. Right. I think they, isn't it uh, what she had called intergrade amnesia? Exactly. Yeah. So in essence, she would have trouble forming new memories. Um, but uh, what was, what was really interesting is that she wouldn't, if she had a prompt like a picture or words or or a jingle, she could remember things like they were prompts and she could basically find her memory within her filing system. Um, and it doesn't matter what any brain or neurologist will tell you who specializes in the brain. They don't really know how any of this stuff works. So, um, you know, your guess is as good as them in terms of how memories are formed and how memories are retrieved. They have some good guesses, but the reality is that I've learned over the past, you know, 11 years is um, they're doing the best they can, but they don't know much about the brain. Uh, they know just enough <laughs> that, you know, they can, they can help out sometimes, but um, uh, understanding how memory is encoded and retrieved is definitely not something that uh, they know much about. It's a very um, complicated organ. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, she was a musician, she is a musician and a writer and a a, a creative person. And so what we discovered is that is her music seems to have been completely unaffected by her anterior great amnesia. So not only would she remember her old songs, uh, but she could write new ones and remember them without, uh, without any trouble. And she went through excellent uh, rehabilitation programs at NYU's Rusk Center and Mount Sinai's Phase Two program, uh, both here in Manhattan. And uh, you know, she had a team of neurologists and neurooncologists that were guiding her through the whole thing. And you know, I was her advocate, and I was, you know, I even uh, left my job for a few months just to dedicate myself full time to. Um, getting her back up and running. And you have to remember, like we'd only been dating like for two years and, um, or less than two years at that point. And 
we, you know, we were completely dedicated to each other at that point where, you know, she was worried that I was like any other guy might have left her, but like, that's wasn't even a consideration in my mind. We were, we were together, we were bonded um, and we were taking care of each other. That's why it comes back to the point that um, you were definitely meant for each other. Yeah. And, and I, I certainly understand that now in, in the um, interrograde amnesia, I, I read somewhere that it, um, the, the memory kind of stays intact for up to two years prior to the surgery, anything back in the, you know, days before that, that stays quite intact. Was that the case with uh, Gwen? You know, um, she seemed to start remembering more and more and more as, you know, things progressed and her memory got better and you could, we measured it through, you know, neuropsych exams. So they were objective tests and she just kept getting better. And, and then anecdotally, I could see, you know, her work at school and her, and her just a way that she lived everyday life. You know, I saw her every single day and, you know, I could, we, we would plot things out on like, uh, you know, these online game programs like Lumosity and, and whatnot, where, you know, I would check in every three months. She would love those games. So she would play them whether, you know, we, we were checking on her progress or not. She just, it was just one thing that she did. She worked out her body and she worked out her mind. And I could see that kind of progression, whether it's before the two-year mark or after the two-year mark, things just started falling into place more and more and more. There was a point though, where she was still having plenty of memory issues. Uh, but the tools that she had in everyday life, like Google calendar or, you know, her notebook or her note card or me or her jingles or her just, um, her, she was surrounded by tools and she was taught how to remember things. And I would always remind her, you know, if she got down on, not remembering something. And I would always tell her everybody forgets. And, you know, for example, if I didn't know that you and I had this discussion on my calendar, I might not have remembered the exact time, or I might not remember, you know, certain details to get this call or this uh, podcast um, conversation ready. I mean, it's, it's not something I don't remember my entire work calendar for the next week. And I certainly don't remember much about what I did in work in the last week. And I would always remind her that people don't remember details such as like what you ate for breakfast three days ago. I think everybody would have a hard time answering that question. And so as, as hard as her memory problems might have seemed to her, they weren't as bad as she, um, that, that everybody experience experiences memory issues as they, go older or in everyday life. Memory is not a perfect thing to answer. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, she definitely had memory issues, but they seem to get much better as she goes along. And that is in line with uh, the new thinking in neurology, which is your brain is always plastic and it always has a chance to get better as long as you're willing to work at it and to give it the right support. It sounds like that uh, she was a very organized person. It was the beginning of StoryCorps, that animated little uh, short, which actually is in the show notes. And I would suggest everybody listening to please take a look at that. It's it's really good. But she started off, I think, maybe in the committed, she talked about confabulation, which is basically a memory error. 
Um, I think we yeah. all have confabulations in one way or another. But she said at the very beginning, I thought was interesting. He says, I always have a note card in my pocket that tells me what the date is. And I have to yeah. write it down when I eat meals because sometimes I might eat lunch three times because I don't remember that I ate already. And the doctor yeah. said the brain can continue healing up to two years. Yeah. But I, I would have to say that thinking from 11 years ago or even before then, that idea, I think, is completely um, the, the, the doctors have moved beyond that. Like the brain is completely plastic and you can do everything that you can to make it get better. I think in the same way that they think about muscles being um, pliable and, and open to being, um, you know, make it bigger or more stretchy. And, and, you know, in, in essence, the brain is is pliable. And it can get better. Well, the body, the muscles are, they have great memory and the brain is, is a muscle. So, you know, the more you work it, the more stronger it can get. But uh, you uh, very lovingly and patiently encountered all of, all of this and worked with her. And I'm sure that made her feel extremely comfortable as she progressed through all this process. So um, on November 7th, 2010, and this is... This is where we get into the good stuff. You both participated in the New York City Marathon and you were not a runner at that time. Um, I'm sure you were somewhat of an athlete, but that was your first marathon and hers too. Why did you decide to do that? So, you know, she had her surgery in 2000, November 2008. So around 2009, we started thinking of like, well, what is it that you want to do? You know, she wasn't going to go back to work at that point I was, what what is it that you want to focus on what are some of your dreams you have a blank slate and that actually started a tradition of ours where every december we would think about you know we would call our yearly fund planning and we would kind of figure out you know this is these are the dreams and the things that i want to accomplish or things that i want to see and we both come to the table with like here are the things that we individually want and things that we want to do together. And, um, on my list was, um, to run a marathon together because I thought that would be something to show her, um, a project that we can work on together to show her that she had plenty left in her and that she doesn't have to, you know, think of herself as missing something or her memory being hold, holding her back. I, I wanted her to, to experience a level of accomplishment that can kind of deliver that message to her. And, you know, it's a big accomplishment for anybody to, to run a marathon. So, right. you know, so it was, it was, it was a joint um, idea that I brought to the table. And interestingly, uh, before, before she had a brain tumor, and I, I know I, I do remember having a few discussions with her about, like running because we had like run five K's or 10 K's at the most and asked her if she ever wanted to step up to a marathon. She said, absolutely not. She would never run a marathon. Um, but you know, after her brain surgery and, you know, things were framed a little different and she thought, saw things a little different. And we thought this was this massive, massive uh, undertaking, which it was. Um, and so within, uh, within, uh, you know, uh, you know, a year and change, we were, we were on our way deeply in our training and um, 
by November, we, we had run our first marathon and I was not athletic. I should tell everybody I wasn't athletic. <laughs> I was the last guy you would pick in a, uh, in school. It was PE was deeply traumatizing to me in, in, <laughs> in elementary school. I didn't want to go. Um, I just, you, you would, you should not pick me on a team, but then, you know, I got better, uh, at riding a bike and I got, you know, I loved riding bikes before, before I ran the marathon. And after I ran the marathon, it actually opened up the doors for both of us to, to for, for, for bigger and, uh, wackier things to do after, after we had accomplished that one big goal in 2010. I'm right there with you. On the yeah. uh, PE in school, yeah. I was the last person yeah. anybody would ever think would be some sort of an athlete. Yeah. Um, so it's it's amazing. But running, you know, you get into later on in life uh, yeah. when you get older because you, you're ready to accept that painful challenge that you yeah. have in front of you. Um, interesting, when you ran, you did it in five hours and 43 minutes, uh, the first yeah. one. And yeah. during it, you... Uh, you tricked her a little bit to not look at the mile markers. And she asked you how long you've been running. And you said about 10 or 15 minutes. Right. That's true. That's absolutely true. <laughs> and, 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 and that's just a testament of, you know, you're, you're, if you turn off your logical side of your brain, I noticed that you, your, your body will just do what you want it to do. Um, you can put yourself in a different mental space altogether. And if, if you, if you, if you're ready for it, um, you know, you, you can, you can run a marathon and, and not even realize it. You know what I mean? So what, I, what I'm trying to say is, um, she was capable of, 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 of so much as long as she turned her, um, her negative or, or the, the, the idea that a marathon was this incredibly huge thing that lasted for hours. Um, it was, it was, it's really a matter of, of mind over matter. Um, and so it I is. gave her as much of that, that I could. And, and I thought that was, that was a, a, a way that seemed to work with her, which is it's fine where you, you are as, as, as refreshed as you feel, you know, it's not 20 miles in, it's just 10 or 15 minutes. For all of us, I wish it were that easy. <laughs> it's it is very hard. I, I agree. It, it's hard to get yourself to that space. It, it is, but you know what? Mar marathons are mental, anyways. And if you can go yeah. overcome the mental, the physical, you know, whether no matter what, you can pull yourself through. And and you have, I'm sure, done it, and I've done it uh, a few times. So, how is the feeling when you are coming towards that finish line and accomplishing? this major goal, because it's mar first marathon's a major goal. I, you're, you're preparing for it for a long time, but in your case, it was even more meaningful than, than most. How did that feel? Um, you know, we, you know, it was very emotional, obviously. And I just also felt an incredible sense of accomplishment for, for, for not just us, but really for her, you know, I, I did, I did that first marathon, um, for her because I, I, it was all about her journey from marathon, from, 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 from meningioma survivor to a marathon runner. And I was just along for the ride. And, you know, obviously I did run that marathon, but, um, 
it was all for Gwen. And I was just so happy for her. And, um, you know, the story arc there is, is, is huge. You know, it's a, a, a huge turnaround and, um, that kind of set the tone for, you know, the remainder uh, of our relationship, which is, uh, you know, you can accomplish great things. Uh, we can do it together and we can have a really good time doing it. Um, and so we, uh, again, the tradition that we had every December was we would sit down and figure out what our goals were for the year. And, you know, all sorts of incredible things came out of those, 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 those planning sessions. And, and we would also not forget, you know, the smaller things that, you know, we would, um, spontaneous things. So every month we would have our monthly fun planning mm-hmm. and we would, towards the end, end of the month, we would figure out, okay, this, here are some things that are coming up next month or in the next three months or whatever it may be. Let's put it on our calendar. So we don't forget to have fun together and to get out there because you do have to work on a relationship. You, 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 you can't just kind of wing it, you know, you have to kind of, um, plan for things. And that's the kind of the way that we decided to, to do it, which is always plan our fun, fun time as much as we can. There's still obviously times where we just go to the movie or whatever, right? Or exactly. go for a run, but as much as we could, we love to plan our times. And that kind of fell into, you know, her, the lifestyle and the planning that she needed, which is, um, to kind of see everything on a calendar and, and to know that her and I, that we're good, that we're good. And that we have lots of fun planned together. And, um, I'm very, I'm very proud and, and happy that we never missed a, a moment to fill our whole day and weekends up with stuff that we want to do together. That's it, so amazing. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you, when you do a marathon and you do it for somebody else and, yeah. you know, I get involved a lot. Uh, putting on marathons here, the Maui Marathon and other things. And I just feel so good when I'm doing it for somebody else. And and I know how that feeling is for you. And I think what I got out of it when I listened to Committed is that when she finished that first marathon, she, she really believed that things weren't bad and that she could do other things. And she ended up really becoming really accelerating at that point um, because she went back to school, graduated with honors at New York University for uh, a writing uh, program that she was in and attended Juilliard. And I think that also um, sparked you a little bit to start putting together some goals for yourself too. And that's what I wanted to talk about you for a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) You got the bug. I did. And also one thing to add to the Juilliard thing after she, she went to Juilliard for a year to focus on her um, music, but then she also got accepted to, um, you know, an Ivy league school, the the Columbia's MFA program. She was due to start in, uh, in the fall of, Mm -hmm. of, of, uh, 2018. And she didn't make it obviously, but, um, but that was a a accomplishment all by all, all of its own, you know, not just sports, and not writing, but music. And then she just kept, she kept going to the next step. And a lot of this was us encouraging each other, you know, or, or trying to convince each other, you know what, you are, you are capable of this. You you can do this. Um, So 
Yes. And to your point, like she did inspire me. I saw, you know, after that first marathon, I was like, wow, you know, what is my excuse? What can I do? You know, what, what are some things that I can add to that yearly list that are serious, but also, you know, silly, you know, you have to remember we're, you're a very irreverent type of couple and we just found fun in everything that we did. So, you know, not only did, um, you know, I learned how to run a marathon, but, you know, I had never learned how to swim going back to the fact that, you know, I wasn't a very good athlete when I was growing up and I never learned how to swim. And then that following year after that marathon, I, you know, I, I committed myself to, uh, a triathlon with right. a, another wonderful, uh, uh, cancer, uh, organization, the leukemia and lymphoma society has this team and training program that basically teaches you how to swim and to run and to bike. Um, I didn't need help on the biking or the running part, but I definitely needed to learn how to swim. And, and, uh, you know, 2012, I believe I ran, I did my first, uh, triathlon, the New York city triathlon. Mm-hmm. And the following year I did my first Ironman and, you know, first that out of big, four, by the way, <laughs> out of four. And so that that's the kind of progression that, you know, she inspired me to do, to, to get to, it was like, not just the running. And we continued, by the way, running the New York city marathon every year until she passed. Um, Except for one, you did Harrisburg because the New York city was canceled, but I think she ran a total of seven marathons. That's right. Exactly. Um, uh, so, and then I kept going. And, um, she kept inspiring me to do more. It's like, she got into NYU. What, what should I do? What, what can I do that's worthy of this, um, level of accomplishment and that she just kept inspiring me every, every, every moment. And, and then after the Ironmans and, and I, you know, I got into this, (laughs) this, some silly stuff, which I know you did. (laughs) And we want to talk about that silly stuff. <laughs> com- competitive eating. Yes. And um, rank so the top 10 or 10th out of the top competitive eaters by the Major League Eating Association, which I had no idea existed. Neither did I at the time. But uh, all I knew is I wanted to be on, uh, I just saw ESPN with Joey Chestnut versus Kobayashi. I was like, well, that's really interesting. It's really hilarious. And I thought Guinevere would get a serious kick out of it, which she would, she did. I was like, Hey, I want to do that, you know, next year. And she's like, okay. Um, you know, she was obviously worried about, you know, I would be eating a whole bunch of food and it's really not that at all. I mean, like you do eat while you're at the contest and whatnot, but you know, it turned into, uh, it, it's, I would say competitive eating is a lot harder to succeed in than, um, uh, you know, hitting, being on the podium in any other like serious sport. Um, and it's just mentally the, take the mental game of running a marathon and turn it up about, uh, the volume 10, because your, your body is telling you, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. Stop doing it. So are the people watching by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, I had, you know, I was in it for a few years and I had some really incredible success. Uh, I know I was a world record holder for a year in the, in the corn on the cob eating contest. I think I was, I think it was 47 and a half. That was a world record. 
And, you know, I invented a way to do it, uh, a new, a new way to eat corn that was extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I didn't eat it like the typewriter method that would most people eat corn. I turned it on its vertically up and I just used my teeth as a way to scrape it. And I just had to figure out a way that would all go in my mouth versus on the, on the table. Never lost and a I, tooth, right? No, no, thankfully, uh, knock on wood. All good. And, you know, I, bro- I you know, I won the cannoli eating contest. I, I went to Nathan's hot dog eating contest on July 4th, the big contest, the Super Bowl of competitive eating. I, I believe I did that five times. Uh, and then, and then at some point I married the, 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 you know, I needed something kind of new. And I, I, I found these contests or these races called Tour de Donut. Right. There's spoofs, there's spoofs on the, um, on the Tour de France. The, the one that's been going on the, the longest is about 30 years old out of Staunton, Illinois. And, uh, these are 30 somewhat mile bike rides. And there are two predetermined donut stops in the, in like the th- one third mark and then the two thirds mark where the riders get off their bike and they eat as many donuts as they can. And for every donut that you eat, um, you know, you get a three to five minute time credit, depending on the race. There's races all over the United States. I believe there's six or seven of them at this point. And, um, and so my record is 60 donuts, I believe at the donut derby in Pennsylvania. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I always got negative time. So, so it, let's say I finished the race in about two hours or so. Um, and I would, I would always come in like negative one hour or so. Are you eating basically. donuts at every aid stop? <laughs> yeah, I I'll eat, I'll eat like, my goal is to eat like three dozen donuts at the first one and two dozen at the second. Um, but, uh, so those are the kind of things like serious and silly that Gwen inspired me to do, not just running marathons, but then, you know, I became, I learned how to swim and I became an Ironman athlete, uh, triathlete. And then, you know, as uh, competitive eating, but then that also opened the doors up to Tour de Donut. And then I just kept going. You know, I did retire from competitive eating and the Tour de Donuts last year. Right. Um, but, you know, in 2017, I started, well, what can I do next? I, I did a marathon every month mm-hmm. um, in 2017. And I started doing that same thing again. I enjoyed it so much. I did it in 2018. And in 2018, I got I qualified for the race across America, which is a 3000 mile plus bike ride. Ultra cycling race, right? Yeah. You know, and I started, you know, started hitting the podium at that point, you know, I won my age group and, you know, these are the things that Gwen inspired me to do. And it was all goes back to that original fun planning year uh, after she had her brain tumor. Like, what can we do? What, how can we enjoy our life and thrive and it, and whether it's something a serious and, 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 and mind opening, like going to school again, or is it running a marathon or something silly like competitive eating? It's we, that's the way we approach life. That's the way we enjoyed it. And we continue to inspire each other. So, yeah. So you're now retired from the sport of eating completely. That's right. Well, it was a fun time. It was, it was good. And, you know, and I kind of, I'm able to see it in a, in a perspective of, you know, it was one of the cool, fun things that Gwen and I got to experience together. Uh, but it certainly doesn't define me. A really famous eater once told me, um, one of the, once I first made it into like the big game, you know, the big, the big show on Nathan's, uh, July 4th, 
he said, uh, I don't want to always be known as a competitive eater because by that point I was, I'd already run done some running with Gwen and, and I'd already done an Ironman at that point, I believe, but like I was definitely into triathlon at that point. And, and so he kind of recognized that and he, he realized that, you know, I, I wasn't focused on just one sport. Um, I was, I was kind of just uh, having a good time and trying a bunch of other stuff out. So that's something that really stuck with me. And, um, and, you know, I, I, I wanted to be sure that I didn't just get completely immersed forever into like one thing like competitive eating or just triathlon or marathon. Although I don't mind, you know, running being a part of my life for the rest of my life, because that is, um, you know, something that was very near and dear to me, to, to, to Gwen and I, uh, but you know, I can run a lot of different things, whereas competitive eating, it's not a lot of variety. It's a pretty, it's a pretty, um, fixed format, uh, way of life, uh, when you compete but with running. I mean, I have just all sorts of things I can do with it. I can run short distance, long distances, really, really long distances or, you know, you know, wrap it up into a triathlon. Right. It, it almost sounds as if you're, um, a comparison would be a, an actor who's pigeonholed into a specific character that can't get out of it and move on to different type of, um, acting characters. Absolutely. And you know, it's really addictive, like uh, competitive eating, you know, you're in the spotlight for, I mean, as, as big as it gets, you know, on ESPN and millions of eyeballs are on you and it, and it, it's fun and people think it's hilarious and, and interesting. And, and so that's kind of hard to walk away from. Um, but you know, I had made a decision a couple years ago that I was going to walk away at some point. I was just trying to find the right time. I had made that decision before when had, had passed and that was going to be my last Nathan's uh, last year. Uh, but, Obviously, that didn't happen. Well, uh, that that uh, segues into my my next question, and that's 2018. It, it started out, in your words, really great. You bought a house yeah. and were looking forward to a great year based on your December goals. But in the mm-hmm. uh, spring of last year, when you recorded that committed podcast, just after that, things changed. Can you uh, tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Gwen had, I was always hyper sensitive to anything that Gwen was experiencing like health wise. And we were always on top of everything, you know? Um, and I, I, you know, she had MRIs on her brain every four months or so just to make sure she was good there on her brain tumor. So if it didn't, you know, we're making sure it was in te- you know, not growing at any kind of rate that we should be concerned about. And it never grew, uh, which is great over that course of time. Um, you know, we, we always shopped and ate organically and had filtered water. And, you know, we were very careful and exercised often, um, ran marathons, obviously. But then we were just, we were blindsided by like um, some symptoms that Gwen was having and it was right after she had a physical and, you know, she was completely asymptomatic uh, when she went in for a physical in er- earlier that year. And you know, she started having some pain in her side. And I insisted 
that she would go and see a doctor and and she did and took a couple visits to different doctors before you know somebody gave her a CT scan of her abdomen um, and that kind of showed that she had some troubling spots on her liver um, and that you know our world was thrown like completely upside down at that point they thought maybe it was metastasized from some other a part of her body it looked like cancer you know but they weren't sure completely unrelated to the tumor completely unrelated and then you know once we got that news within a day i was you know insisting to our doctors that we needed a full body pet scan at that point like um we need to know exactly where this was that was our doctor's recommendation they needed a full body to to to, to see where this cancer potentially it was coming from. And uh, normally a PET scan is not something you could just walk in and get like the same day. But, you know, I was pretty insistent and we got in the next day, uh, you know, uh, and then it revealed that she had lung cancer and it was pretty far advanced as most lung cancers are. When you discover them, you just are in asymptomatic generally, or, you know, they might be symptoms that you can kind of shock to just general, you know, a cough or something like that. And, and that's, that's the scary thing uh, for everybody who's listening is that, and not, it's not just a scary thing, but like you, you do have the power to, to do something about it. And in our case, you know, we had to move very quickly, you know, and we, we, we being at stage four means that the cancer has advanced beyond where the original tumor was and it's spread to different parts of the body. In Gwen's case, it was her liver and the surrounding tissue and then um, a little bit on her spine. And um, it did not spread to her brain at that point. You know, we went to, we were at the best hospital, one of the best hospitals in the world for for cancer. That's Memorial Sloan Kettering. Mm -hmm. You, they were on it, you know, they, they did everything they could. She was hospitalized after that diagnosis though. She, she descended into worse condition and um, we had to hospitalize her for a little bit because the pain in her side had gone to a point that we were, you know, she had acute symptoms at that point. It, it was almost like the, it just felt like the cancer like had been found out and then it just kind of like, okay, well, let's, um, you know, now that I've, I've been revealed, like, let's turn it up a notch. And it, that's the way it felt like to me. Very aggressive. It was, it was, it was relentless. And, um, and, and so she was hospitalized for a bit, uh, like five days or six days. And then she got out and then we immediately, you know, the, thoracic oncology team there was on it and you know they put her on chemotherapy and immunotherapy they ran a barrage of tests to try to figure out what the genetic markers of this thing was uh, within a month we had those results by that time she had gone to her second round of chemo and she became she was hospitalized again um, a couple more times after that point and then finally uh you know, within two months, less than two months, five, 
six weeks, seven weeks. She was diagnosed on, on uh, May 27th and she passed away on July 22nd. Very aggressive. You know, um, I've heard stories of other widows and widowers who young widows and widowers in my situation that, you know, that, uh, their, their loved one suffered for, you know, 18 months, two years, um, just fighting and fighting. I, I don't know which one's better, you know, honestly, um, I just wanted her to live. It's better for the other person because they don't have to suffer as much. And it's very hard for the person that has to stay behind because you have to come to the realization and you don't have a long time to hang on. Yeah. And there's, you know, obviously this is, you know, changed my life perspective. Um, I'm I'm still here, but, you know, I, I know it just made me, I have so many thoughts, but one of them is I just appreciate, uh, you know, the time that I have. It's, there's not much, you don't, you don't have a lot of time. Um, so just, you know, cherish it. And I, I try not to waste any time, um, that I have now at all. You know, if there's something that is meaningful to me, I stick to it. If, if it's not, I let, I let things go. My, 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 uh, my theme for the year is, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want a headache, meaning like if I need to focus on the things that matter to me even more so now uh, than before. And that is, you know, honoring her memory, um, taking care of myself and, um, you know, doing good in Gwen's name. You know, yeah, sir. I, I cannot, I can't imagine your loss. I'm, I'm actually personally dealing with a brother who has cancer. Um, yeah. It's, it's not to the aggressive terminal stage, but it is in the liver. Um, yeah. And I've had a few friends. I think when we were first talking, I talked to you about my friend that passed away from uh, a brain, brain cancer, and he was phenomenal. Yeah. He was in his 40s. Um, and, it, and it's very, very hard. And but it just brings me back to my first thought when I was looking at everything that you sent me, that you were both brought together for a reason um, because, you know, she needed you and, and she knew you were a strong person and you could continue forward. And you are right now. Um, you started the Guinevere Man Foundation. And, yeah. and this, is, this is for the absolute love of your uh, life, your wife. and. And it's the 50 marathons in 50 states to honor memory. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about it? Um, by the way, I think it started in New York City last year. Um, That's right. You're 10 states into it, and you were also featured. There's that that moved me. 26 runners that are focused on with through the New York uh, Road Runners, and you were one of them last year. Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> so. So, you know, when Gwen was still with us, um, I had, you know, a moment where I, I, I had brought up this idea of a, of a foundation to help people like her who have dealt with, you know, setbacks in life, specifically around lung cancer and brain tumors. And my idea of bringing that to her to, to see if she was into it was that, you know, we were going to get her to remission. And 
and and then you know we would work on this to help people together um and she was really into it um you know a, a piece of me in the back of my mind was i think subconsciously was thinking you know she she might not make it but consciously i i was not accepting that at all even until the last moment and even until she and even after she passed right i i still have i still have trouble with that but she gave me that blessing and it was one of those moments like when we when we listened to the uh committed podcast it was one of those moments um that she she lit up and she was ecstatic she was she was so happy um and she loved the idea. I mean, she, I remember the look on her face as she was lying down in bed. I was like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. This is great. I, I'm into this. Um, so that was, it's nice to have that blessing from her that she was, she was into it. Makes you move forward with this and, and gives you even more yeah. purpose. I know, I know that she wanted this, you know, I know she was into it. Um, and so that, that it's, it's in moments where, you know, people ask me is how's your body holding up doing all these marathons? And, and I'm, I'm, I, I tell them it's fine. It's, I, it's not, that's not hard for me. You know, it's, it's just like riding a bike and you have momentum. I have the momentum now and it just, it's, I'm trained up week to week. And so I, it's not a problem as long as I don't overtrain and don't stress my body in between marathons. I feel great. And I have, you know, I have a history of doing that, uh, these types of multi-marathon events uh, back to back. And in a way, you don't have to train as much because you're running one every single weekend, just about. And so yeah. you're you're kind of peaked up on your training. So you're just doing a few maintenance miles in between. Exactly. So like three, four or five miles in the middle of the week, if, if even five, you know, three to four is kind of like my jam, you know, Tuesday to Thursday, I'll throw in a couple days of weights if I feel like it, but I certainly don't beat myself up about like a long run in the middle of the week. That's not happening at all. You know, three, four miles, just so I feel my legs and I feel stretched a lot of stretching, a lot of, a lot of massage, you know, like I get a foot massage after every race because, um, the, my feet are the parts that kind of need, um, the most, uh, uh, love, uh, after these races, but backing up to answer your question, uh, Jim. Um, so the, the, so she, I got the blessing from her in July and she, you know, passed away. And then, uh, I went in to Texas where I, I live in New York city, uh, but my family and my, where I went to school is in Austin, Texas. And in the month of August, I just, uh, I, I took off and I went to Austin for, for a bit of time, five weeks or so, maybe six. And I just kind of, you know, tried, you know, just went through the grieving process exactly. as I, I didn't know, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know how to do it. Um, I don't think there's a book on it there. If there is a, there's a lot of different ways to do it. The way I chose to grieve and the way I chose to kind of um, approach my, uh, to begin to approach the healing process was 
I realized how important, you know, running was to, to me and to, to us, to Gwen and I. And um, I had the New York City Marathon coming up in November. And, um, and you know, I had started up until when Gwen um, got sick in May. I was continuing on with my monthly marathon thing that I had started in January of 2017. And, you know, and I'd done a few already in, in 2018, uh, continuing that. But that obviously fell off and I I stopped working out completely. I was by her side the entire time. So then I realized that something that I wanted back in my life. Um, and that was something that I could, as part of like my, 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 my therapy, whether it's talk therapy or being with friends and family, that, that the running was very um, meditative for me. And even more so in Texas, where in August, the heat and the humidity is just pretty severe. And but but that kind of creates kind of like a hot yoga type of atmosphere where I, I just went and um, around the around the, the lake in Austin. It was like an 11 mile, 11 mile trail. And I certainly couldn't do those the full 11 miles when I first got there because I hadn't run in like two and a half months. Um, but I built it up. I built up to it and I would choose to run in the middle of the day and in the hottest time. It was very cathartic. You know, I'd wear a technical shirt and I put on some sunglasses and a hat and everything. But I mainly wore the sunglasses because and I wouldn't listen to music. I mainly wore the sunglasses because I was working through my emotions. So I would more often than not be, you know, pretty emotional as I'm running and cry. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't run away from that. You know, I just kind of embraced it and like faced it. Um, and so that was actually to be expected. Exactly. And so I, I wanted that, you know, and I would, and it was so hot that I would take off my shirt two or three times and I would have to wring that shirt out. And there's plenty of water fountains along the way. You know, I scoped out even the ones that had cold water. Those were like, you know, an extra treat. But like that, that way of my, my grieving process and kind of working through, through things, it gave me an aha. I had an aha moment at some point that I can't even remember. Uh, but I do have a journal. I keep a daily journal. Um, and I can always go back and look at that and see like, when did I have that idea? I was like, well, you know what? I have this crazy idea and I thrive on crazy ideas. And that why don't I take this multi-marathon idea up a notch, marry it with the foundation, use that and take it to a, a, such a high level that it would get me excited. And to me, that was, I want to run a marathon in every single state in a year. I knew that would get like some attention. Um, I do work in media. Right. You're, you're with uh, Rodale. Um, I'm with Hearst uh, and we, we, you know, we, we acquired Rodale early last year ah. um, in 2018. So we do have a lot of the Rodale titles um, here now. Um, some of my favorite magazines. Mine too. Yeah. Runner's World, of course, Bicycling, Women's Health. So I, w- I, I, I embraced that idea of like, I can, use, I can be myself, you know, doing this crazy idea of running everywhere um, while, while at the same time driving this message home that there's this foundation. This is who Guinevere was. This is important to everybody, you know, your health. And this was a vehicle for me to tell the story. 
Seems like it covers every aspect. Yeah. And I love that stuff. I love, I love efficiency and I love to do three things. I love to get three things out of one thing. You know, that's kind of what I always try to find. Like I'm, I'm running because it's therapy. I'm also running because it's going to attract attention to the foundation and, and I'm running in Gwen's memory. So, you know, those are three different things and I get to do all of that and I, and I get to fundraise, you know, that's, it, it, it just inevitably will attract enough attention and to help people, um, realize that, you know, you should go ask your doctor if you, if you even have like an inkling that something's wrong, or even if you don't, like, I honestly think everybody has lungs. You, you should have them checked often. Uh, once a year would be my choice. It just seems logical to have a check-in. The best technology that we have right now to scan for lung cancer is a low-dose CT scan. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, quick four to five minute scan of your chest. And you can uncover other things. A CT scan is the way to go. Um, there's been studies on it. Over 40,000 participants participated in this study to compare the difference between x-rays and CT scans. And the, the study concluded that C- low-dose CT scans was currently the best way right now to look for you know, pre-cancer or, or, or any kind of cancer in your lungs um, because it's better at, at detecting tissue, looking at tissue versus x-rays, which is really for bone. I think I know what your answer will be, but for for many listeners, and I am going to be absolutely guilty of this too, people don't do this because they're afraid of what they may find out. Yeah. Um, I know. And I, I, I don't, I don't fault anybody for that idea, but at the same, but there are other, I think there are other barriers for people. I mean, it's just not easy to go to your doctor and ask for something and then wait and have it scheduled and then come back again and get that CT scan. And then it's kind of a pain, of course, to go through all that process. If you feel fine, as Guinevere did, to, 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 to do that. And so I think it's, there's a place for people. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, the, that, how to solve that right now, but I've attempting to, you know, Meaning what, what, what I mean by solving, meaning like changing the, the standard of care. That's a really big thing that, to change. And also the technology behind detecting lung cancer is evolving pretty quickly. And I'm very excited about what's on the horizon. But as of right now, you kind of have to deal with what we have. And so I'm trying to, through the foundation, lower those barriers for people. And the way we're doing that is we're in really active discussions right now with forming um, alliances and partnerships with radiology um, leaders to bring actually bring these low-dose CT scanners to marathons. And we have a few on the schedule that we want to be at um, right now, and we're just furiously working through all the details. It's a major undertaking. First of all, they cost a lot of money, but these scanners, um, you know, you, you can basically transport a CT scanner on site uh, they require a lot of power and they take up a lot of space there. Uh, they package them up in these flatbed trailers. So, you know, your standard flatbed trailer. Right. Um, so I, I have to move those there. Um, you know, there's size of a bus and, and the power, you know, you have to get 
power to these things. You can't just plug it into any spot. I mean, we have to bring generators out there. And then there's a whole slew of details that we're working through right now uh, related to, you know, we have to have um, a hospital partner so we can uh, align with, uh, you know, HIPAA requirements and just logistically like figuring all this out. And this is what we're committed to. It's not just I'm going to actively scan uh, 50 to 75 people a day at every run expo. Um, that we're at. And that's about the number that we expect to scan 50 to 75 people for each expo day. Right. So if there's a two day, you know, I can do hundred to 150. Um, and that's impact. You know, we, we want to do this uh, three to four locations uh, along the 1550 route. As a beta test. Yeah. So we can understand like, how do we scale up from there? Like, how do we make this work? Let's learn what, what, uh, how to make this work to form the alliances, to, to get a proof of concept up and, and then like make it bigger um, until, you know, we have new technology on the horizon um, uh, that's coming very short. If somebody has a scan, um, what is the, the step? Do they get the scan and then the results or they're, they're sent to their doctor or is it immediate? Um, so, you know, uh, ta- I mean, uh, a, a radiologist, on the spot can see things uh, on the spot and, and, and kind of have a sense of where things are. Uh, but just because of the nature of, you know, um, you know, x-rays and CT scans and MRI offices, the, those there's usually like, they're just back to back to back to back. So you don't generally get your, your results until a day later, you know, you have a doctor's appointment, a follow-up appointment, and some people don't want to know those results right then and there, right. um, like you like you mentioned, and they want to have a, the right atmosphere to have that discussion with their doctor. Um, and those are things that we're working on right now. Um, uh, what is, you know, we we are not doctors, we are not experts, but we're committed to helping people uh, detect lung cancer early. And so we're we're partnering up with all these people, uh, doctors. Um, cancer societies and, and groups uh, to work out those details. And so in a, in a nutshell, um, if you were to go to your doctor now and say, I want a low dose CT scan for any number of reasons. Um, and I, I want this and I need you to, he, here are my reasons why I have a cough or um you know, there are guidelines on the American Cancer Society website um, and the American Lung Association's website that those are a little narrow, you know. So there are, you know, you you have a right to ask for a scan and your doctor is the expert. And if he feels it's appropriate, you know, you should get the scan. But you can always push, you know, if I, I might feel completely healthy like Gwen was, but I could have lung cancer myself. You know, we all as can. Gwen as Gwen did. Yeah. And so, you know, as as it, it, that, that's the thing that I'm trying to really drive home is in the same way that uh, bre- breast cancer can just appear in a healthy woman without a regular, regular checkups. And a part of your standard of care for women is to get, um, you know, uh, a breast, your breast exam, uh, every, every year, um, at a certain age, you, that's just what you do. And so 
we went from uh, breast cancer being a death sentence like 30, 35 years ago to the survival rates are in the upper 90s. And that's not because of a better drug pipeline, uh, but although, of course, that's certainly important, but the data shows that it's because of the the standard of care changed. And, and because of the standard of care changing to early detection is important. Right. You have regular scans on a regular basis. You can catch it early. And that's just the name of the game. And we just don't have that for lung cancer. It's like colonoscopies, uh, you know, that you, yeah. you have the survival rates amazing if you catch that quickly. Right. And so you have to catch this stuff quickly. And that is the game that I that we are playing right now. And that's 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 the area that we're focusing on. Drug pipelines have a place and they're doing amazing work. But that's not that's not what we're doing here. We 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 want to fundamentally change your people's approaches, people's approach to um, lung cancer. And that is you, you have lungs. You should get them checked. Keep them. You're healthy. Keep it that way. Right. Don't wait. You, you cannot wait until there's a problem, because if you feel a problem, it is too late. Um, it, it's 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 currently. It's not that it's definitely too late, but you're 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 not you're not in a good cha- um, situation, and your chances are much lower of survival if you can feel the effects of lung cancer, because at that point it's probably spread to other places. That's the key. the The point with my brother, um, he also um, he, he he waited. He had some issues that he felt it would go and come and go and come back. And uh, finally, it, you know, it got to the point where it just wasn't going away and he went in and I'm not, you know, a doctor and I'm not to say that if he went in earlier that it wouldn't have been, you know, as bad spreading wise. But, um, you know, he waited and, um, right. you know, he, he he's lucky because it, it hasn't spread past where it spread to already, but it did spread. Right. Yeah. So that's what that's what we're doing. You know, we we are we are uh, excited that we can be a part of this new idea, a new approach to lung cancer. And it just takes we've we've decided that we're going to we're rolling up our sleeves and we're going to we're going to be a part of the solution for this. Um, it's easy to just kind of I, my my easy approach. My, my, I could have just. um went on and grieved for the rest of either year or however long it takes me to get, get to a, some sort of new normal. Um, but this is, this is how I've chosen. Running is healing. You know, it's healing when you're, when you're here and it's healing. If somebody um, leaves us, uh, there's just so yeah. much, uh, it, it's so much more than putting one foot in front of the other. There's so many, yeah. so many things behind running that enhances everybody's life and gives it purpose. And thank heavens you had running yeah. because that, yeah. that is where you are focusing your attention on. And that attention is going to get more attention for what you're out there doing right now for Guinevere. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the, the feeling that I get when I run is like an antidepressant and meaning I can fa- I can face the deepest darkest um, feelings that I have, but when I'm running, it can't. It, I I there's not a bo- the the bottom can only get so low. 
when I'm running because I can I can feel the effects of uh, the physical and emotional effects when as I am running. It cre- creates kind of like a safety emotional safety net for me, um, and I and I can kind of tackle things in a safer spot, a, s- a safer mental space. Right. But uh, I can feel if I have not run for a while, it it affects me. You know, I I I I, I feel you know a little more down. Um, I'm facing my, you know, my, my thoughts a little like less with less weapons in hand. So meaning I can, I can slay the the dragon a little bit, a little better as I'm running, as opposed to sitting down and facing my, my thoughts. I'm just kind of like at the mercy of these thoughts and it's, it's not a good place to be. So, but running, running gives me that, um, that strength. And, um, and, and so thank goodness. Yeah, I do have running as, as something that works for me. I'm not saying that running will work for everybody, but I'm pretty sure it would, you know, for most people or biking or something like as you move, because it takes your thoughts away from your, your mind and a little more into your body. And then you're, your mind can kind of like work through things. Anyone who runs knows that who's been running for, for a long time Um, and not even a long time, even a short time, they can see the effects of it. Um, But I, I know exactly what you're saying. There's I've worked through so many problems and so many issues and so much pain uh, through running that has been released in a good way. Um, you know, I'm not saying I ever forget any of that, but certainly can get mm-hmm. through it a heck of a lot better because I have running. And, you know, I, I it's it's just, you know, my passion and, and other people's yeah. passion. You just hear story after story of, of this and it's true. And people who don't yeah. run should try to run and see. Yeah. Don't call it boring yeah. or or I just can't do it because the the what you get out of it after you get through getting used to it, it is priceless. Yeah. Um, and I do, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I live in Manhattan with a ton of uh, running paths. I, you know, I'm looking at Central Park right now. I'm staring right at it. And that's my, my favorite six miles or so path uh, that I run. I envy you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It is a wonderful place uh, to to run, and then of course the west side of Manhattan. There's a four, means basically 14 miles from tip to tip on the west side. Um, it's a great it's a great long run. You can always swing around to to you can run to New Jersey over the over the Washington Bridge. You can run over to, run over the bridges to to Queens to Brooklyn. Um, there's just so many. It's just it, it, it's a it's a an urban like wonderland for runners in New York City and and I've I've had the pleasure already as you mentioned to run um, I think it was nine marathons at this point I'm running Phoenix this weekend I counted um, ten unless I'm oh you, I might be yeah 10. you need you need to get on top of this because you don't want to end up doing sixty and. <laughs> I've mapped everything out, um, actually all my runs. So I do, I do forget, um, that I have what number I'm at. I have to go back and look at my schedule sometimes, but I have this massive Excel sheet with everything that, uh, 
all my details that shows everything. So yeah, it might be 10. Um, Unless marathonguide.com is wrong, but uh, that's what I count. Yeah. Then you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, But so these 10 marathons that I've done so far, I get to, I get to see the, you know, race directors like yourself who are like, you know, you've picked like the choicest, you know, routes for us. And I get to see these cities and I get to run on the best paths and it's, I don't even have to take a tour um, outside of running the marathon because I get to, I get to see cities, 26 miles of it around, you know, I never like, for example, marathon number two that I did in early November was Las Vegas, right. the rock and roll Las Vegas marathon. I didn't even know Las Vegas had a downtown outside of the strip. I had no idea. Um, I, there was no way for me to, I, I don't take a, I didn't rent a car there. So I wouldn't have like taken that route to go explore, um, you know, downtown Las Vegas, but I got to, I got to see everything. I got to see the, the earliest parts of Las Vegas, the glitziest part, the downtown, the, the suburbs. And similarly, when I went to Huntsville, Alabama, you know, uh, I, uh, changed my idea of what Alabama looked like, you know, cause I'd never even been there, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, every city that I've been to so far on this tour has been, uh, it's nice to connect with the running community. We're all of the same tribe. And as, as you're going through all these marathons, your story is going to get more and more exposure. So you're going to meet more and more people. Um, and I know you said you, it took you, um, what, is, what did you say? Two weeks to put together your whole 50 state schedule? Yes, it did. I, it took me two weeks. Um, you know, a lot of moving around like Tetris pieces, like how do I fit in North Dakota and South Dakota now that I had to throw in Wyoming in this weekend? September and October are extremely busy times in marathons, they are. as I discovered. And December is not. And um, there's certain spots that are or just August, August is completely empty with the exception of like a marathon the last weekend, I think, and maybe a marathon at the beginning, but like it, for the most part, four weeks, those four weeks in August are fairly empty. Um, I just can't find anything. All right. Um, so what that creates is some double weekends. So double marathon weekends. And every once in a while, there's mar- like th- three or four marathons in a week. Right. Um, Cause I, I do have a couple instances where I'm running marathons in the middle of the week. There's, there's a couple of groups, as you know, in the United States that do marathons every single day, mm-hmm. you know, uh, legit marathons every single day. And so I've had to slide in some of those like North Dakota and South Dakota. Those are, that's a Wednesday, Thursday, I believe I have to look back, but, um, but I, I do know there's some of those Maryland and Delaware are in the middle of the week. Um, I know that. Uh, but they're back, but they're next to each other. Right. So I kind of, I kind of relish those weekends and those back-to-backs, especially if they're, you know, I got so, so happy and, and proud of myself when I was like, I found Delaware and Maryland right next to each other. And it's a 10 mile drive between the two and they're the very next day. And that's, that's a huge win for me. Cause then I don't have to travel as far. Similarly, you know, I'm doing um, Hawaii and Alaska 
a week apart. And, and sadly I can't do. I know ours is the same day as the Chicago marathon. And I see that you're doing Chicago, which is fine. I would, I highly recommend Chicago. And I would assume that, um, you're doing Kona. I know that that's a, that's a nice race. They got a brand new, um, owner of that. And he's, um, he's probably going to really boost that up, uh, to where it was before. So that'll be a nice marathon for you to do. I assume you're doing the mayor's midnight sun. Oh uh, yeah, Alaska. So in Alaska, great marathon. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. That's on June 22nd, yep. and then the, solstice. So I'll spend like three days there. Yeah, exactly. So I'll spend like three days there, or so. I have a friend that lives out in Anchorage, and then we're gonna fly down together to to Kona for the for the following weekend is the is the Kona right. marathon, the June 29th. So I'll spend you know six days out there. Um, or so somewhere around that amount of time and, you know, run the marathon and then fly back to New York. Um, you know, and I have a friend, one friend of mine, Ferdinand, who is, was a coworker of Gwen's and really good friend of mine. I became good friends. He's running 12 marathons with me and he just happens to be in Hawaii at the time for a wedding. And he's running that one with me. He's yeah. I've seen some pictures of you and him at, uh, I think yeah. on your blog, actually. Yeah. He's very, he's a really strong runner and he, we're always kind of pushing ourselves. We're thankfully we're evenly matched. Um, and you know, you don't get that. Uh, we both tend to get a little excited if we're not running with a pace group. So we try to make sure we, we run with a pace group so we don't wear ourselves out. We we've learned that the hard way a couple of times. What's your closing marathon, your final 50th, you know, officially it would be Boise, you know, uh, in Boise, uh, Idaho, but, um, you know, that's officially 50, but I'm, I'm, I started in New York city 2018 and I'm ending in New York city 2019. Um, but that would be technically my 51st marathon. Right. Um, but you know, I, I want to make a full loop and a full circle. And because the, 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 um, the, the symbolism and the, uh, the, the attachment that I have to the New York city marathon with for Gwen and me, it's like, it couldn't have been any other race, but technically Boise, Idaho, I think the, is the one two weeks before New York city, or it might be the week before is the last is the 50th. That makes a lot of sense. I would do it in New York. What are you doing in California? Just out of curiosity. Uh, that would be San Francisco in Ah, July. Okay. I was going to say, we're, yeah. we're going to be in Los Angeles at the expo promoting the Maui marathon. And if you were going to do that, I could meet you. I would love to do that one. Um, but the Gwen was from San Francisco and we have a, she has a ton of family and friends out there and, and, and I want to run her city. Um, and so another, a lot of friends are going to run with us um, in that, that race. Makes, so sense. makes sense. That choice was, was a bit easy. So your goal um, with the foundation, I know, and, and I'll ask you how people can how people can get involved with this. But I think um, your goal is to raise a million dollars through your through all your efforts in these 50 states. Yep, I think big and I want to I want to shoot big if I don't ask for big money. Big money is just not going to be there. And um, so the way people can get involved um, we're a very young organization at this point, um, only five months in. Um, but, uh, we are, uh, 
a few different ways you can get involved. You just go, first of all, you can go to the website, gwenman.org, G-W-E-N-M-A-N-N.org. That'll be in the show notes, by the way. Great. And uh, just click on the 50 and 50 tab at the top there. And there's a form you can, you know, look at it and see how you would like to get involved. Um, I give you a few different options. Um, very soon we'll have any moment now we'll have uh, charity bibs for Chicago um, as well as New York city. Um, those will be our two major fund raising uh, vehicles. Uh, um, and if you just want to donate directly, I will happily take your money on uh, similarly on the website, there's a donate button. And I did that myself. So everybody listening, please do this. Thank you so much, Jim. I, I did see that and I, I really do appreciate it. Um, and all those funds go directly towards um, the our, our scanning program. And it's just sitting ready to go. And when we when we activate at our first marathon, those that's where we'll that's where we'll be dipping in and, and getting our money from. And um, uh, you know, you can volunteer some of the races once we have a booth presence. Um, we're working through those details right now and which races we want to be at. Um, that'll be aligned with where our scanning uh, station will be at. And uh, uh, and then, of course, there's there's other ways that on that form. Just take a look at and we're, we'll happily um, we'll happily uh, run with you. There's people that I've met up in Memphis and Huntsville and Jackson, Mississippi, that filled out a form and I ran with them. Um, and you know, I'm just happy to, to meet with people. Um, uh, if you want to do a fundraiser at a local marathon or one of the stops that I'm going to be at, I'll happily do that. If you work in media and you want to, uh, talk about this, um, on your show as well, or you want, uh, materials, um, we, we, we will, we will have all that, but right now, uh, our main focus is getting the word out through the 50 and 50 marathons at all the stops that I'm going to be at, uh, fundraising through Chicago and New York City charity bibs. And I'll be, I will be posting, uh, our team will be posting on uh, the availability of those bibs uh, shortly. Um, and uh, of course, we'll take your money directly. And I appreciate anybody supporting this cause. Do you have a Facebook page too, or Instagram page, uh, something social media wise that people can go to besides the website to see what you're doing, to keep up to date with where you're at and what you're doing? Absolutely. Our, our, our social team is, uh, we're on Instagram as Gwen, uh, Gwen Foundation and uh, just G-W-E-N Foundation. Uh, and on Twitter, we're Gwen M Foundation. Um, G-W-E-N, N as in Nancy, M as in Mary Foundation. Um, and we're also on uh, Facebook. We're a public page when, when Every Man Foundations uh, is public and we'd love to to interact with you. We post uh, we post videos and, and pictures and and um, uh, up to date on uh, content on what we're doing in, in the 50 and 50 states. And every once in a while, we'll make some big announcement. We have a few coming up and um, stay tuned on that. And, and as far as your schedule, where people can see which marathons you're running, just in the event that they're actually running that particular marathon the same time you are, where can they find that out? Yeah, on the, the full schedules on the, on the foundation website, Gwen, 
man.org forward slash 50 and 50. That's five zero I N five zero. And it's on there. Uh, every single one. So finally, um, Guinevere loved music and you released one song off of her, uh, album, upcoming album. And you mm-hmm. can get this on iTunes right now. And the name of the song is what I can be. How many songs are going to be on the album? Uh, 10, uh, 10 songs and, um, they'll be, we'll release it, uh, later this year. Um, trying to find the right time for it. Most likely we're going to release it around the New York, towards the end of New York city, uh, marathon, the last one and have a, we're going to have a 50 and 50 finale party. So all of our, our, our fund runners who are running New York city with us will, be invited, of course, to the party. And if you happen to be in town and um, you have been a part of the foundation, we'll also love to have you. Um, that will probably be where that's my current thinking is that we have a, a release party um, at the 50 and 50 finale party. That would be awesome. I'm going to put a link to the yeah. song, but at the close of the show, I'm going to I'm going to play it. I got permission to play it so everybody can yep. hear it. And and. Um, I was able to discover another really beautiful solo. Uh, she was with a group called Rochambeau Jazz Sextet, and they did an yep. acapella uh, song, and it's called "I'm Calling You." and And mm-hmm. she was the featured solo singer, and it's beautiful. And I'm gonna put a link on that, but yeah. you can find it on YouTube. Yep, she's a she had a really powerful voice. Um, really soulful. Um, you know, the kind of voice that gave you goosebumps. Right. So, right. She's, she was just extremely talented. Um, not just a music, not just a singer, but she could pick up any, any instrument, even, uh, in their, in her last few days as she was in the hospital for the last few times, a, a music therapist came around with a harp and, um, you know, you know, played it for her. And then Gwen's like, well, can I play it? And, she grabbed it and, you know, um, just started playing, you know, and it sounded pretty good. You know, So she's just one of those, um, people, natural musicians that she, she, she gets it. She understands, you know, how to just kind of wing it. Um, she was extremely, she went to Juilliard for, for a bit. She went to the Berkeley music Institute and, um, you know, she was just naturally born, a musician. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's such a talent to have and to be able to utilize that talent and, and express it is, is just amazing. And, and there's one other thing that, that I'd like to, to mention to those listeners out there that on YouTube, um, it, there is the, the full, um, celebration of her life of, uh, of Guinevere's life, but, but at the very end, um, for maybe five minutes or so, there's a beautiful collage of pictures that, um, really show you who she is and, and her kind of her, her life. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful. And I, and those pictures are just amazing. You really get a good idea of what a inspirational, uh, person that, that she was and how much she meant to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. She was, she was incredible. She touched a lot of lives. Uh, myself included uh, she was the love of my life and you know um, I just hope to you know continue to live my life 
in a way that she would be uh, proud of to honor her. Well, Yasser, you are an amazing person. You are just to be able to talk to you and, and know what you're doing in, in honor of, of Guinevere, your, your wife, and, uh, and, and then to incorporate running with that is, is just amazing. And I, I wish you the best through all these states, and I'm going to be following you, and I'll uh, every once in a while on the podcast, we'll put an update on there for everybody so they, they know what's going on with it. But I really encourage people to, to check out the show notes and to really support you in your efforts uh, to raise money and also to raise awareness of Guinevere. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I really appreciate having me on your show. Well, as you can see, Yasser is truly an amazing man, and I was so honored to speak with him. And I encourage you to go to the show notes. Please go there. There are links and pictures. You'll get to know Gwen if you go into some of these. And uh, especially listen to the Committed podcast. That's very good. You hear both Gwen and Yasser talk about her brain surgery. And that was recorded in March of 2018. And very shortly after that, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. And please go to the link for the Guinevere Man Foundation and donate a few dollars. That'll really help out. And of course, check out Yasser's running schedule. Since we recorded this, he has run three more marathons and even PR'd by running a sub four in Phoenix. Keep going, Yasser. You got this. Thank you for listening to this extended episode of Feel Good Running Podcast. Please share our podcast with your running friends and on social media and give us a review if you can. Now we're going to close this out with a beautiful song that was written and sung by one of your man called What I Can Be. And my
myself up, create a brand new me. I'm different, but I still got hopes of what I can be. My life's not over, it's not as bad as it seems. And though I've changed, I've got guts and I've got pick myself up. it for this episode thanks for listening please consider sharing this podcast with your running friends and spread the feel good running vibe around you head over to feelgoodrunning.com to access all the links and resources mentioned on the show until next time keep motivated keep focused and keep on running it is sure to make you well feel good